Once there was a guy named Jonah. And he had a blue shirt and a scarf. God told Jonah to go to, go to Nineveh. But Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. They were bad people. They were doing bad things. Like slapping everybody with fish. And slapping everybody with bigger fish. And even bigger fish. God told Jonah they went far away, but I can't stop loving them. I will give them a new start. No, they don't deserve it. I will run away. I will go somewhere far away, and God won't be able to find me. So he went. He got a ticket to not Nineveh, and he and then he rode the boat, and then a storm came. The storm was like shaking and shake the boats. And then the, the soldiers started throwing everything out of the boat. Jonah knew it was his fault. So he said, I'm not following God's direction, so throw me off of the boat. And he fell in the boat. They swim off of the side of the boat. Ah, 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 ah. So God sent a big fish. Whale shark, because I know it's a whale shark scientifically. When she thought he was going to drown, he turned around and he was swallowed by a big fish. When Jonah opened his eyes, he turned on his flashlight. He prayed to God said, help me, help me. I will stop running away from you, Lord. After three days, the big the big whale shark threw up Jonah on the sandy beach. And then and God told him the second time to go to Nineveh. And this time uh, Jonah did. And then he... Uh, he told the people to stop being bad and, and do God, what God says. The people listened to Jonah and they started loving God. The people were so happy that they play a laser tag a lot. The end. Well, good morning. Hey, I hope all the kids, uh, adult kids and little kids, got a coloring sheet and some crayons on the way in. If you're at a point already in the service where your kids have broken all the crayons and you need more, there's more out there, there's more coloring sheets. The hope with those, honestly, is that the kids will learn something about the story of Jonah today. You'll learn something, and it will foster a conversation between parents and their kids today or at some point this week about the story of Jonah. And I love that story. It's a short book of the Bible, but it's a very, very meaningful book. And I just love the story that's there, mostly because it's not about the message that Jonah had. It's about his behavior. It's his biography. 
And he was a prophet who struggled to obey and follow God. Not because he didn't understand what God wanted him to do. He was keenly aware of what God wanted him to do. He just didn't agree with what God told him to do. So let's dive into Jonah's story. Right off the bat, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to that great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. It was a huge city, and it was indeed incredibly wicked. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and it was a massive city. The Bible tells us that there were 120,000 people in the city who were infants or young children. That means, realistically, we could say that there were at least half a million people living inside of the city of Nineveh. It was a massive city. It took three days to walk from one side to the other of Nineveh. And the walls that surrounded this city were incredible. They were impenetrable by army forces from foes. At the base, these walls were more than 100 feet thick. And when you reached the top, I'm sorry, 100 feet high, and when you reached the top of the wall, it was wide enough that three chariots pulled by horses could run side by side around the perimeter of the entire city. From this impressive fortress, Assyrian kings would carry out 250 years of terror over the region. They were Israel's worst enemy. They were the bane of the ancient world. And what's more, they were known for how brutal and how grisly they treated enemies that they conquered. Uh, Because there's kids in the room, I won't go into the details of what they did. But if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, that's a PG movie compared to what the Assyrians did to people they captured. So Jonah's response to this command of God is very understandable. Why would God want to show mercy and give advance warning to the most, one of the most violent empires of ancient times that he was about to punish them? And beyond that, Jonah was being asked to go into the city and risk his life with no guarantee that he would be given an audience and no guarantee of his success or even that he would emerge alive. For a good comparison, think of what would have happened to a Jewish rabbi if he had decided during the heat of World War II to go into the city of Berlin and proclaim God's judgment against Hitler and the Third Reich. It was that perilous to talk about God in the city of Nineveh. And if by some chance he did succeed, if this evil nation listened to the word of God and changed, Jonah would never be welcomed back home in Israel. Nobody wanted them to find God. They just wanted the Assyrians to be punished and for their reign of terror to end. So Jonah was in a tough spot. The mission didn't make practical or theological sense to him. He was in a lose-lose proposition from his point of view. And in those circumstances, I think most of us would make the same decision that Jonah made. The Bible tells us that after God spoke to him, Jonah got up and he went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish and he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. 
Jonah implemented what I would call a geographic cure to his problem. If I just go to a different place, life will be better. So instead of traveling 500 miles north and east, I'm going to get on a boat. I'm going to travel over 2,000 miles to Tarshish in the southern edge of Spain near Gibraltar to the farthest west development in the Mediterranean Sea. Maybe, Jonah thought, if I go there, God won't have the stamina or the persistence to follow me with this ridiculous command it was more than just simple obedience though disobedience though it was a disagreement that Jonah had with God's way of dealing with people in the world especially people that Jonah hated Jonah ran because the Ninevites weren't Jews Jonah ran because he feared the Ninevites Jonah ran in protest to God's extension of grace toward a violently wicked people and as he ran, God sent a hur- he hurled a powerful wind over the sea. And he caused a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. I think some of the most important lessons I've learned in my life, maybe you too, are when I'm in the middle of a violent storm. It could be difficult events in life. It could be excruciating circumstances in life. I think that storms have a way of developing our faith like nothing else does. When this storm comes, the sailors recognize that their lives are on the line. These are seasoned sailors. They know this is serious. And so they begin praying to their own gods, whoever that is. And then they take action to try to save their lives. They lighten the ship. They throw cargo overboard. Eventually, they get down and they start casting lots to try to figure out who's brought this calamity on them. And it's at that point that they discover Jonah sound asleep in the belly of the ship. They grab him, drag him up on the deck, and start to interrogate him. They fire questions at him. And they're instantly terrified when Jonah confesses. I worship the Lord. The God of heaven, the one who made the land and made the sea. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it'll get, become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. I, I just read that and I go, who in their right mind would be worshiping the God of land and sea and then try to run away from him on a boat? It doesn't make sense, does it? So the sailors listen to this. They show incredible charity towards Jonah because then they start to row harder to try to get their way, fight their way out of this storm, to try to find land to survive. But it seems like the more they row, the more difficult the storm becomes. The larger the waves, the wilder the storm. And in the end, they give in. They do what Jonah's asked them to do. They do the unthinkable. They pick up Jonah and they throw him into the raging sea. And when he hits the water, the storm stops immediately. The sailors were awestruck by God's great power. And they offered a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. I find incredible irony in that statement. Because even as Jonah is disobeying, even as Jonah is running from God, God finds a way to use his story to bring to faith people that Jonah would have never talked to about his faith. 
The Bible says at the last part of Jonah 1, it closes out by saying, Now the Lord had arranged for a great swish, great fish. We know from the young man in the video it was a whale shark, scientifically. He arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside that fish for three days and three nights. It was a big fish. That's what the Bible literally says. It doesn't say it was a whale. That's what I grew up being taught was Jonah got swallowed by a whale. Could have been, but it could have been any fish big enough to swallow a man. The point of Jonah's story here begins to sound implausible to a lot of people. I mean, really, a whale swallowing Jonah whole? Really? But as I dug into this, I found that there's a handful of circumstances, a handful of first-hand historical accounts of people who've actually been swallowed by whales. And one of them made it into the Encyclopedia Britannica, which has gone to an online version versus a number of volumes in your home these days. But it was a story of a guy who actually was eaten by a whale and survived. And it is possible to do that. It's possible to live in the stomach of a whale or any fish that size, though it would be really uncomfortable. I mean, let me paint a picture of your discomfort inside the belly of a whale. There's air to breathe in there, but it reeks. I mean, think about what a a whale eats, right? Shrimp and krill and fish. And it just kind of rolls around in that stomach, you know, and it starts to smell. You know, I want to trigger this smell for you right now. (laughs) If you've ever been in a cheap grocery store, with really bad fish counter. And it's August. And their air conditioning is broken. Right? That smell just assaults you as soon as the door of the grocery store opens. Right? Can you smell it? Do I need to go on? No. It was like 104 or 108 degrees is the temperature that's maintained inside the belly of a whale. It doesn't take long at that temperature for shrimp to smell bad, right? Or krill or anything else that's found its way inside that whale. And that's not the worst part. The worst part about this whole experience inside the belly of a whale is that people who've come out of that belly, they look at their skin and they realize the gastric juice has done something to their skin. It's not like getting pruny in the bathtub. It actually bleached their skin ghostly white, as white as a sheet of paper. And the odd thing is that whatever the gastric juices do to the skin, your pigmentation never returns to its normal color. Now, knowing all that and other stuff I'll spare you from, it's pretty easy to think that God sent this whale to punish Jonah for his disobedience. But I think that misses the point. God wasn't angry with Jonah at this point. He's not getting even with Jonah at this point. In fact, I think the fish represents God's grace in Jonah's life, in the middle of his rebellion. Left alone in that sea, Jonah would have drowned and died. Through the fish rescuing, through the fish God is rescuing Jonah, not killing him. And Jonah stays inside that fish for three days and three nights. And I am convinced that that seemed more like three weeks to Jonah than three days and three nights. It was a long 
time in solitude, a long time to think and to pray. It's like God's version of time out for Jonah. Because unless Jonah in those moments is unable to grasp the magnitude of his own sin, how much he needs God's mercy and grace in his life, he'll never understand how God can be merciful to the Assyrians in Nineveh. The story of Jonah, with all of its twists and turns, I think, tells us about how God is taking care of Jonah. How he's leading Jonah, sometimes by the hand and sometimes by the scruff of his neck. He's teaching him about faith. He's teaching him that God extends mercy to all of us, even though we neither understand it nor deserve it at times. I think Jonah was struggling. In his running from God, he was struggling with how to understand, how to get his head wrapped around the goodness and the wisdom of God. My guess is everybody in the room has been at that point in their own life at some time. When you have to sit in the waiting room of the doctor's office and you're grappling with the news from the biopsy. When you've been out of work for months, you can't seem to find a job, and the last job lead that you had has just let you know you're not going to be the one hired. When you question why this seemingly perfect romance, the person you have prayed for, you think you're going to spend the rest of your life with, when that relationship goes down in flames right in front of you. In those moments... If there is a God, we certainly don't know what he's doing. How could he possibly use that in our lives? What Jonah's story, even just the beginning, shows us is that God is intimately involved in every detail of our lives, even when it looks like he's missing. Ever wondered why God used a fish to save Jonah? He could have done anything. Was it random or was it intentional? I don't think it was a coincidence. I don't think it was coincidental that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and the fact that the primary god that the Ninevites worshipped was Dagon, who presented himself often as a giant fish. I don't think it was a coincidence that Jonah showed up in Nineveh with ghostly white skin that would draw attention, give him an audience. And when he started to tell the story of what had happened to him, they all wanted to hear. We sit today just 36 hours or so away from a brand new year. Every new year comes to us filled with hope, with promise, with a healthy dose of uncertainty. What we do know for certain is that every single year comes to us with lots of moments, big and small, where we have to make the same decision that Jonah made in the belly of that whale. We have to decide what do we really believe to be true about the character and nature of God. In those moments, we have to decide if we're going to be like Jonah and run from God or if we're going to trust him. 
Do we trust God in those moments enough to follow him? Even when the road ahead is sketchy. Even when it's hard. Even when we don't understand. And especially when we don't agree and our heart screams out in protest. When the waves crash around us. When life creates a disequilibrium in our souls. We wrestle with the idea, will we trust God enough to follow him? No matter where he leads us.